Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about the armor of God, and I'm going to read for us Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 13. Hear now God's word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray together. Lord, even as we read about this armor, I pray that you would clothe us in this armor. These things are ours in Christ. They are gifts from you to us at our disposal that we might grow in you and be defended from the evil one. And we need that right now. Even as we sit, even as we hear and engage with your word, even as we seek to apply it to our lives, clothe us, arm us with this good armor of God so that we might go out in the strength of the Lord and not in our own strength. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know what I love about this church community is that some of us are here and we've grown up in the church. We've been in the church for a long time. We may have come to faith early on or it may have taken longer, but we were raised in the church. And then there are many of us here who have not been. We only came to faith recently, some of us in the last year, some of us in the last few years. We don't get the allusions and references to some of the Bible stories, and so we're mixed together as a community of people learning this faith together. I love that. I love that God will use us together to challenge and to grow each other. But if you were a young child growing up in the church, then I wonder if you had a similar experience to me that as a child, when you were dragged squeaky clean in penny loafers and polo shirts into pastel-bordered, soft-spoken Sunday school classrooms, and your teacher would whisper to you that you as a Christian were like a lily of the field, and you were like a vegetable garden that bore good fruit, And you were like a nursing lamb that was led beside still waters so that you could eat and drink. And that's all you heard for a while. You'll remember that first Sunday that you walked in and your Sunday school teacher slapped on the flannel graph board a Roman soldier fully armed with muscles and said to you that Christianity, among all those other things, is also a fight to the death. Everybody in here gets a sword. Everybody gets combat boots. You're going to go out and face an enemy that wants to eat your profession of faith for lunch. This is war. This is a fight. When that happened, that woke up something deep inside of you. And it should because the days are evil. This is war. This is a fight. Unless we learn how to arm ourselves and fight this fight, we are going to be in trouble. If we don't know where to stick the pointy end of the sword, when it comes to this spiritual battle, this is going to be a messy road of sanctification. So this morning, even as we delve into some of the elements, some of the armor, 
I want us to be very clear as to what these weapons and what this armor is and how we fight the fight that God is calling us to do battle in. Here's my thesis. Here's what we're going to talk about. This armor that we just read about, that we're going to explore, is not what I bring to the fight by way of my spiritual disciplines and my goodness and my righteousness. They are gifts that God gives me for the fight to endure to the end. That's a huge difference. This is not what I bring, this is what God gives. So for example, the belt of truth is not me personally on my own beefing up on my truth telling per se. This is the gift that God first and foremost gives me. His truth, his word, his revelation to me, his opening of my eyes so that I can see clearly for the fight. That's a big difference that we're going to talk about later, but before we get there, I want to defend this thesis by looking at Isaiah 59. If you want to stick your finger in Ephesians 6 and flip to Isaiah 59, you're welcome to do that. Because I think you can't understand 6 unless you get 59. You don't know what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 unless you know that he has in his mind this whole chapter of Isaiah 59. Now that chapter, when you get there, it begins with humanity's desperate need for salvation. You read the beginning of Isaiah 59, and it sounds a lot like Romans chapters 1 through 3, that, that there is no one who does good, none who is righteous, none who seeks God. In fact, Romans 3 quotes Isaiah 59. Those two are very closely related. Listen to this language of our guilt. Verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Verse 7, their feet run to evil. Verse 11, we hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. This is not a pretty picture. Before we came to Christ, left to ourselves, we will only ever and always choose evil. We do and we did. Left to ourselves, we are without hope and without God. Left to ourselves, there's no fights against powers and principalities. There's no belts of truth. There's no breastplates of righteousness that we bring to this battle. We're not fighting in this war. It is a full-scale massacre. Powers and principalities, they have us exactly where they want us. You and I, before we are born again, We are stuck in the nightmare of Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. To say it another way, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are caught in the devil's snare bound by him to do his will. 
there was no fight before Christ. It was a massacre. We did not use weapons. We did not defend ourselves. We were wholesale within the snare of the evil one. Isaiah comes into that moment and, and makes the gospel so clear to us that even a child in our midst can understand it. You can't fight, so someone must fight for you. You don't want to fight. You don't have weapons to fight. You've given up in the fight. And so someone must fight in your stead. Look at Isaiah 59, 15, the second half of that verse. The Lord saw it. He saw this situation and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Look at this. He put on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments for vengeance, for clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Remember that benediction verse we keep using in this series of Ephesians, Ephesians 5.14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ himself will shine upon you. That sounds a lot like a few verses later in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 59 and 60 forms the backbone of Ephesians 5 and 6. That's important. We're not going to get our chapter today unless we understand that Paul is digging deep in what came before him in the prophecy of Isaiah. If we're sitting here this morning and we're listening to the armor of God list and we're thinking to ourselves, okay, I got this. More truth, more righteousness, more peace. If I can get out there this week and if I can cover those bases and if I can really work on those things in my life and and develop those things and process those things and and make resolutions about those things, then I think I'm going to get some breathing room from the evil one and and that's going to be a good thing for me. Dear beloved, we are not talking about your truth. We're not talking about your righteousness. We're not talking about your peace. We are talking about God's. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This is God's truth, God's righteousness, God's peace, God is the warrior of Isaiah 59. He has come to set us free. I don't think it's possible to overstate the importance of this. Am I wearing God's armor or my armor? Am I going out to battle in God's strength or in my own strength? 
I mean, take the obvious piece of armor here in our passage, the breastplate of righteousness. This means everything. Is this God's righteousness that I'm wearing? Or is this my developing righteousness of me as a new Christian that I'm wearing into battle? You know, commentators actually disagree on whether it's God's righteousness or my righteousness because the two of them are closely related. If God saves me and declares me righteous, then I will begin to live a righteous life. And so commentators are confused. Is this God's righteousness or my righteousness that I'm wearing? If you think it's your righteousness, you and I can still be friends. We can. I just totally disagree with you. I think it has no foundation in the book or in the prophecies that precede it. And I think you're in for a long, hard fight with the devil if you're bringing your righteousness to the battle. Between Paul's illusion of God's own righteousness as his breastplate in Isaiah 59 and Paul's reminder to us in Ephesians chapter 2 that salvation and sanctification are both by grace through faith as a gift from God and Paul's repeated emphasis that we are putting on God's armor and not our armor, I take this body armor that we're talking about to be none other than God's righteousness. The Bible tells us that when we become a new believer, we see our sin, we agree with Isaiah 59 and Romans 1 through 3, and we say, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We confess that sin. We trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. The Bible says that two critical transfers happen on our behalf. The first one is that the whole of my sin, the depth of it, all of it, what I have done, what I am doing, what I will do, the whole of my sin is taken from me and it is placed on Jesus and he pays the penalty of that on the cross. And then a second transfer happens. And that is that Jesus' righteousness the good and the purity and the holiness that he has done is then transferred to my account and I wear that righteousness in his stead. Those two transfers, we use that great and important word, justification, that happens in the life of every brand new believer. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is our great support. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The piece of armor that protects my vital organs in this battle, it's not my goodness. It's not my performance. It's not even my sobriety. How many days sober I am. It's not even my spiritual disciplines. How many days this week I have read my Bible and prayed. If it was the devil who is that great and haunting accuser would have a field day punching holes in that weak and rusty suit that we wear. I'm not wearing my righteousness right now. I am wearing the perfect, spotless, invincible, impenetrable righteousness of Christ. 
when the devil whispers to me, like he's doing right now for many of us sitting in this room, and he tells me that I'm a fraud, and that I'm a has-been, and that I'm a hypocrite, and that if other people in my life really knew me, like they knew what I thought about just this morning, and they knew how I spoke to another person, and they know deep inside the real desires I have for my life, and the ambitions that I have for myself, and that if people knew that, they'd want nothing to do with me. When he says that to me, I say, I know. You don't know the half of it. I know. And that's not why I'm not wearing my righteousness. I am wearing the perfect righteousness of God. That's my defense. That's my stance. That's how I face my accuser. So how do we do this practically? How do we put this armor on? How do we use it on a daily basis to stand against the evil one? We've heard that we have spiritual forces, not just the devil, but powers and principalities. They're arrayed against us. We, we heard last week that they're strong, they're sinful, they're smart, they're bent on my destruction. How do I stand against the evil one's attacks in God's strength? I was thumbing through a book this week. There's a great Puritan author, William Gurnall, and he wrote the book, The Christian in Complete Armor. I don't know if any of you have seen that or touched it. It is a 1,000-page book on the armor that we wear. So I'm going to defer to him in all things. And I'm going to boil his 1,000-page book down to two steps. He says, if you want to do this practically, you got to, number one, put it on. And number two, you got to use it. That's all it boils down to. Put it on. And use it. You put this armor on. The Bible loves to tell us, paradoxically, to put on, take up, believe things that we already have, are already on, are already true. The Bible loves to do this. It tells us to be what we already are. So, like in a situation with your kids, when you hear a kid say, Mom, I'm thirsty. The mom says, sweetie, you've got legs. Go get a drink. You know? You have everything you need for the situation at hand. Use it. It's there. It's yours. Why are you asking me? So also you get lines like Ephesians 3.17 where Paul says, I'm on my knees praying that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And if you heard Paul was praying that for you, you might say to him, I thought he already was. I thought when I became a believer, Christ was dwelling in my heart through faith. And Paul would answer, absolutely. That's why I'm on my knees praying and pleading and fasting and begging that Christ would do what he already said he would do, that he would dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the same thing with this armor. God's truth, God's righteousness, God's peace is ours by the truckful. It is more than we know, more than we can comprehend, more than we have a lifetime to explore and enjoy. And Paul says, because it's yours, because you have it, I want you to take up the armor. I want you to fasten the belt. I want you to put on the breastplate. I want you to put on the shoes. These things are yours, so you better know them. 
Study them. Experience them and enjoy them. What good is it to you if you have God's armor and you leave it at home hanging in the closet? When we consciously study these things in the word, pray about these things, ask others how you, they utilize these things, we remember the good defenses that God has given us the, against the evil one, and that is the step of putting this spiritual armor on. Once it's on, we put it to use. You take that breastplate of righteousness, I've already prayed and thanked God this morning that his righteousness is mine in Christ. I've preached those gospel truths to myself that he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see me in the first half of Isaiah 59. He sees me in the second half that he has won that righteousness for me, that he sees me as perfect and spotless and sinless. Now I'm ready for a battle. Now I'm ready for the evil one who will, I promise you, tempt me to despair and tell me of the guilt within. That I've turned out to be a lousy Christian. That God is angry with me. That God right now is being passive aggressive with me. It sounds like he doesn't hear me and he's not answering my prayers and the devil is gleeful to whisper to me, I know because you don't deserve it. And I am ready in my armor, wearing his righteousness, the very righteousness he wore in Isaiah 59 to win my salvation that is shining as the badge of God's love for me. I can answer the evil one and those temptations as Paul does in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, freely giving us all things, who then can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? I wear the righteousness, I use the righteousness. In God's strength, I answer the accusation that seeks to penetrate my soul. Friends, this fight is fierce. This war is hot and heavy. But I love that Pastor William Grinnell reminds us that a day is coming when we're not going to wear the breastplate of righteousness anymore. There it is a day that's coming when we won't need our weapons that the prophets say swords are going to be beaten into plow, shares and spears into pruning hooks, that every saint who has repented and trusted in Christ and been brought by him to the end will dwell under his own vine and her own fig tree and none shall make us afraid, that we are going to gather before God on that great day not in breastplates of righteousness, but Revelation says in white robes of righteousness. A breastplate is good when you're on earth and you have battle to do. That's going to serve us now until we die. But if you're going to be somewhere 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, you're going to want a robe. 
That's a lot more comfortable to move around with and to get on your face and to worship the king. We're done with breastplates. We're on with robes because God first wore the breastplate of righteousness and won our salvation and we walk in his victory. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, the war is finished, the battle rages. You have won the victory, you have now equipped us for the skirmish. You have brought our salvation, you will lead us to the end, but you will do through that through many valleys and through many mountains as we face the accusations of the evil one. Let us take off rusty, weak, thin, breastplates of our own goodness and sobriety and spiritual disciplines and let us put on a new one the righteousness of God that is transferred to us in our justification and let that be our refuge and defense for the accusations of spiritual forces and principalities Let us walk in your strength as a church. Let us fight in your strength as a church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.